Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. She's Ann Friedman. <laughs> she is Ami Natuso. And, they, and we're inside. Yeah, we're <laughs> inside. We are social distancing. And, uh, you know, it's interesting so far. I have to say that I know we have been doing this podcast for many, many years at this point, but. Like, who knew that the moment would arrive when everyone was a long-distance bestie? And here we are, fully set up and acclimated. Right. It's see you, wild. See you on the internet as a lifestyle. We have been here. The bulk of today's episode is a somewhat more lighthearted conversation about all of these things that go into our interior spaces. Not just in a moment like this, when we are all sort of by necessity, spending a lot of time indoors, but in general, thoughts about how we create the interior spaces of our homes, how we share those spaces, how we use them for all kinds of purposes, sometimes the same space in about 10 different ways. Those are the topics of our episode today. For, for all the ways that our long distance friendship and working relationship is often very difficult, I am really feeling profoundly grateful right now where I'm just like, we have some working tools. Like we know, we know how to do this. We do know how to do this. I was talking to a friend yesterday. We are all practicing social distance. We, um, depending on what country you're in, you are more locked down than others. But I was talking to a friend yesterday who was really struggling with the fact that everything is moving to the phone. She's like, we have digital barriers now. And I was like, you know, mm. I, because I think we do so much of our job, like calling each other, it had not occurred to me that that was a muscle that we had just kept exercising. And so, right. you know, I hope that like in the midst of all of this, everyone is, it's not the same as being in person. Like anyone will tell you that doing a Zoom call is not the same as being in person. Doing FaceTime is not the same. Even picking up the phone is not the same. But thank God for tools that allow you to do that. I just I can't imagine going through this moment without the tech that we have. Like I would probably be going completely like off the rails right now. Yeah. Those of us who are indoor kids by by nature are really finding the limits of our indoor kidness. I feel like I'm like, wow, all of my hobbies, indoor hobbies, like all of my favorite things, inside things. How are how are you faring in your largely indoors life right now? You know, I'm faring pretty well, but I think that it's early, right? I am also a fairly indoors person. I love the outside and I thrive in the outside, but inside is also my happy place. And so, you know, all the home projects that I hadn't been doing, it was like, okay, I got to organize my skincare drawer. I need to organize uh, the pictures on the wall. Like all of that stuff is finally getting done, which I think because, again, it's like early in <laughs> how long are we going to be home? It's actually making me feel good. But also you and I are people who work from home. On a day when the weather is bad, none of this is different from how my life is, you know? And so right. I think that we've been in it. I'm also just like very grateful today that I don't really share my space with anyone. I'm like, great. Like I'm in my house. I am like quarantining myself. I, you know, I have my own stuff going on and a lot of my family lives overseas. So I'm very like conditioned to reaching out in this way. 
but I think that the the uncertainty of how long is this going to be? I'm like, okay, it's day five. I'm like doing fine on day five. Talk to me on day 45, you know? It's going to start taking a toll, but I think uh, we should just all be really gentle with each other because this is uncharted territory for a lot of us. So, you know, obviously we've been talking and thinking a lot about um, privilege and people with different vulnerabilities, be they economic or physical or whatever in this moment. I think that when I think about like the home space or like how we're all retreating indoors, those things feel even more magnified to me. It's like if you do not have a physical home, like how are you supposed to socially distance yourself safely right now? If you have a home situation that is not safe for you. If you share it with someone who is violent or potentially violent toward you, like what are you doing right now? And I and I think I'm also feeling, I'm feeling a lot of gratitude and privilege for the fact that not only do I have a safe and comfortable home, I have like, you know, a home office with a door that closes. And I have like some of these things that feel like true luxuries at, um, at any time, but like in this moment feel like they are really sustaining me. So I don't know. I'm thinking about that too, even as we, even as like I'm spending more and more time, rather all my time <laughs> inside the ways that these conversations about privilege don't, don't disappear just because of physical isolation. Right. If anything, I think that coronavirus is just really exposing all of the ways it's exposing like every fault line we have in our society. And it's really easy to be like, okay, here's how society is broken. But I think that a lot of us are being confronted with all of the ways that we're privileged and the ways that like, uh, you know, we are allowed to luxuriously worry about certain things that are not guaranteed for other people at all. And I don't say that to minimize the impact on anyone. I just think that um, it's like, it's important to acknowledge all of that. Absolutely. I will say that the bulk of today's episode is a, somewhat more lighthearted conversation about all of these things that go into our interior spaces, not just in a moment like this, when we are all sort of by necessity spending a lot of time indoors, but in general, thoughts about how we create the interior spaces of our homes, how we share those spaces, how we use them for all kinds of purposes, sometimes the same space in about 10 different ways. Those are the topics of our episode today. I am very excited to hear you interview friend of the podcast, Mercedes Krauss, about this. Right. So I talked to our good pal, Mercedes Krauss, who is the executive editor and interim editor-in-chief of Curbed. So she is like a home pro, like truly a home professional, and especially like I think a home interiors pro. You know, Mercedes is just someone who lives very well, I think, and is very effective at communicating how the way that you organize your space is, you know, like correlates with how you organize your life. And also someone that's just like useful about giving you tips and tactics to better living. So I'm really excited about this conversation. Yeah. So um, here I am uh, with Mercedes. Mercedes, welcome to the podcast. Hello, I'm back from my glorious return. You may remember me from 2013 when I talked about Rihanna's Christmas tree and the Illuminati. I think that was 2013. This is how we know you are a true, you're a friend of the podcast in the truest sense. It's like, you might remember me from a very early episode in which we talked about a bunch of random stuff before the show got its act together. Yeah, you've been on Team CYG since before there was a CYG. It's true. I'm very lucky to call CYG my my original fam. Yeah. Oh, okay. We have, I'm going to call it a higher purpose in talking to you today. Yes, great. Which is simply this. 
many of us are spending lots and lots of hours in our homes right now. And I'm curious about some of the things you have to say about the home as a curated space, about how you think about the sort of functionality and comfort of the home space, but then also maybe how you think about the politics of the home space. Mm. So by way of explanation, first off about your job, maybe you can talk a little bit about your role at Curbed. Sure. Um, I'm the executive editor and interim editor-in-chief of Curbed, which means I right now, you know, run everything. I oversee our editors, our reporters. We have sites in eight cities across the country where we talk about neighborhoods and homes and cities and all the issues we face because we all live somewhere and we all care about where we live, whether that's our house, our block, you know, our entire city. Totally. And so let's, for the purposes of this conversation, bring the lens inside the home. Yes. So how do you, as like a human being, think about your home space? How do you prioritize it? How do you want to feel when you're there? I have many feelings about the home. Probably one of the things that has most inspired my philosophy about the home is actually feng shui, Mm. which I feel like is kind of a 90s vibe, you know, and very easily dismissed. But it basically just talks about like how energy moves through a home. And there are like a lot of prescribed ways that, you know, you should and should not do that. But I think that there, I don't know, I feel like I've always had sort of a an intuition about what feels right in a space. And I just keep tweaking until I can figure that out. So that might mean moving light or changing light. Light is probably the primary thing also. Um, and then other things for vibes, meaning like how furniture is arranged and things like that. Plants, right? Isn't that part of it too? Plants are a huge part of it. Uh, Activating space, mirrors, metal. Mm. You know, there's a lot of like weird corners in our house that just get, you can just feel that they're kind of stagnant and strange. And because our houses are chopped up and rebuilt in all kinds of different ways. And so, uh, yeah, in order to like keep the chi flowing, man, (laughs) you got to put some metal in a corner or a mirror. Yeah, so I also strongly believe that in your home, everything should have a place. Mm. I actually always say that my favorite thing is when everything has a place, and my least favorite thing is when something doesn't have a place. Mm-hmm. And my best home advice actually is like, even if you have something that cannot have a permanent home, have a home of impermanence. So like your keys and your mail and things that have to move through, like you got to have a place where things can move through. Um, And I think there's no time where that's more acute than right now. So like if you're at home and you have to work from home and you have one table in your house and there's not really anything you can do about that, you can't go out in public, um, you have to be really intentional about how you use that one table. The other thing I would say about that is that ritual is super important in the home. Getting up, making coffee, making your bed, you know, whatever kinds of things that you do. And so obviously location matters in that, right? The more that you have ritual, you're going to things in different locations. And so that kind of helps you get into a groove and get into a space. And I think especially as a lot of people right now are bringing their work into their homes and bringing their kids into their homes, you know, to a new degree, that's right, ever more present. So if you have a table where you normally eat dinner and it has to be the table where you work, how can you introduce something into that that will help you change your mind about the place? Whether it's like setting the table every time you eat it or you have a 
something, you know, a piece of fabric or something that you throw over it when you work and then, you know, you move everything off to the side. But like being really intentional about your space, I think is something that I deeply, deeply believe in. Mm. What do you think about navigating some of these questions with the people you live with, be they roommates or a partner or children or, you know, how do some of these questions change? Because I think a lot about how, you know, it wasn't that when I lived alone, it was perfect 24-7. But I do think that certain things like setting a tone for how you mm. want to use a space are a lot easier when you are the only one using it. Right. And I would love your thoughts about living with others. Mm-hmm. So right now I live with a small dog who loves to alert us when she can see literally anyone from the window. I also live with my husband and my 11 month old baby, my husband takes care of my baby. And so they're there all day long when I have work, when I'm in video calls, all kinds of stuff. So I'm pretty practiced at this at this point, but I have learned that it just takes time and there will be conflict and frustration. And like any relationship, you kind of just have to talk through it and say, okay, you came in during this call. Like, how do we work through that? Why did this happen? You know, there's actually, (laughs) I'm such a management dork. There's actually something called the five whys where you ask why five times when, when a conflict happens so you can get to the root of it. And then you try to put in place new things at every level of the why. So, you know, maybe that means changing your video call schedule around if you can. Maybe that means, you know, for me, I share my work calendar with my husband so he knows when to come Ryan also friend of the pod I don't know why I'm saying my husband <laughs> well because listeners don't know him but yes I obviously he is a friend to me well, and, and, Amina and you. Him yeah <laughs> enough sometimes that yeah. I'm like I feel like people know him but yeah so that he knows when I have meetings so you know negotiated space means negotiations you just like you don't know what you need sometimes until conflict comes mm. and then you just work through it together and you do your best to be honest and you say, okay, I feel like I need to take this. How does that feel for you? Do you need something else? You know, do you feel like my needs are getting met and yours are not? And like, there's no like clear way through it. There's some way to expect when and where conflict can happen, but it also just happens. And then you just work through it. Is that something you learned living with roommates? Like, how did, how did you learn that lesson? Ooh, I lived with roommates for a very long time. I actually have never, let's see, I have never lived completely alone. I, one time when I was studying abroad in London, lived in a dorm room by myself for six months, but I was like in a flat with a bunch of other students. So I have a lot of experience <laughs> brushing up against other people and softening my rough edges. Even when Ryan and I got married, we lived with roommates for a couple of years. One thing that my friend Tess taught me, I remember I was really stressed out one time. I had come home from a serving job. Um, I was trying to freelance. This was in my like early 20s. was trying to freelance and was making no money and was post-recession and everything was really shitty and bad. And I came home in this like stress, you know, thing and like, And I think I had done this a couple times before, but she approached me and she said, look, I don't know if you're aware of this, but your energy is very powerful. And when you bring that into this house, it really affects me. And I was like, holy shit. (laughs) And I, of course, felt bad. I was mad at myself, you know, but it was a huge 
lesson for me to understand how to respect other people in the place and how to talk to them and what my piece was and everything. And I thought that was huge of her to be able to do that. You know, like that, that basically like changed my life in a lot of ways. And in that way, like I love living with other people. I think it absolutely makes you a better human, Mm. you know? And so that's like you enter in a new apartment or you move in with your partner or you get a dog, whatever kind of like spatial change as soon as you can realize like, hey, this is a significant change. What are our ground rules? You know, and as many as you can set and right, they may fall apart, but at least you have something upon which you've negotiated to start. Mm. I have so many more questions about change in a living space. <laughs> I one one thing that I want to ask you about is aesthetics, because you're a woman of a strong aesthetic. And for me, I often think about making an aesthetic change in my home as like a frivolity mm. or something that should only be undertaken every X number of years. I don't know what that, what X, what number that is, <laughs> but making investments for a reason not related to functionality mm. is something that can be hard for me once I'm already established in a space, mm-hmm. even if I feel like I've outgrown the way something looks or I've just gotten sick of it. And I'm wondering about how you answer some of those questions for yourself because I am a devoted reader of your Curbed newsletter. A lot of it is about you deciding that you want to make an aesthetic change in Mm. your space and like how you went about it. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear about that process for you. Yeah. Well, first of all, I am looking at a lot of inspiration all the time. Thanks to Instagram. I have an Instagram collection called Home. Shout out to T Magazine. I really don't want them to be the best, but like, my God, the homes (laughs) they post on there are very good. Their account is very good. There are a bunch of other ones, of course. There's my latest one, I think, that I follow is one called Kim Cool Mom. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, it's just like like retro design book images and things like that that just kind of jar my mind into thinking stuff. And I also will like pick up design books from estate sales where I go shopping with you even. So I feel like I look at stuff all the time. For me, I think the reason I'm regularly messing with my space is that I have a like deep-seated desire to be a maximalist in the Mm. truest sense of the word. Mm. (laughs) I want like every surface in my house to be hand-painted. I even have an idea that like wouldn't it be cool if I made a house where like literally everything in the house was made or decorated by me you know, Tom Sachs, like, did Space Mission Mars. Who's that? Tom Sachs I'm is sorry, a, do we recognize male designers on this uh, show? No, no, I'm just kidding. I know, <laughs> kidding, but I'm that's kidding. the closest example. <laughs> I'm uh, teasing. Who is Tom Sachs? <laughs> Tom Sachs is an artist. Let's say he's the Wes Anderson of the art world. Not in the color sense, but in the every detail prescribed uh, in a certain aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And it all has to do with, like, very regular-ass materials, like, plywood and not duct tape but like electrical tape and things like that and so he'll remake things that seem like they're high design or luxury or whatever and and use like regular materials to make those things but anyway the point is that like he makes everything out of one material to create one ethos Mm. i remember a book that really captured my imagination was this like artist homes book that i found in a used bookstore in texas and One in particular, this husband and wife duo, and I think actually it was the wife that did most of it, but like the entire house was hand painted and she like wrote shit everywhere and she like made leopard spots on doorways and like it was just the wildest stuff. And I know that can look junky and I would want to do it in my own way, but 
I I think, yeah, part of the reason I keep working on stuff is that I, I want to see like how I can keep filling stuff in a way that feels good. And how far can I push this, you know, and how far do I want to push it? And when is too much stuff too much stuff? But like, when does that feel good? And yeah, I think it probably feels in some ways like very self reflexive in that way. So that's probably a deeper answer than you might have expected. But Mm. Yeah. And I also like, I really love color and pattern and texture. And so a lot of the things that I have tried to do, especially faced with, you know, the current aesthetic, which is, I mean, it's kind of ongoing. There's always some sort of neutral shade, right? In the nineties, it was like beige and now it's gray. And it's not, it's not pale pink. That's not the neutral. Oh, well. Or is that, am I speaking too far within my own like Instagram algorithm? I mean, it definitely is its own neutral. <laughs> I, it, I would say the like way wider world is more gray, you mm-hmm. know, cause like the tile, the backsplash tiles you can buy at home Depot. It's like, you can only buy them in gray. Really? Yeah. So yeah. like the, the options that you have available to you when you don't really know what to do are all super, super basic. Mm. And so for me, I'm like, I don't want any of this. Like, I just throw that throw that out. Let's get more creative. Let's like be more thoughtful here. And so most of the time those things are used, you know, or I'll, sometimes I'll even see something and be like, wow, I've never seen this before. I want it. <laughs> Could I put it in my home? Because like, I can't get another blanket because I'm not going to use it. But, you know, like I found this quilt at the Pasadena City College Flea and I saw it and I was like, this feels very Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. It's this like scratched silk and it is this wild ass thing. And I've been trying to figure out how to put something over our bed. You know, we live in earthquake land that's like a fabric. And I saw this thing and I was like, this is hella colorful. Our bedroom feels weird. Anyway, I want to keep messing with it. And so I just kind of like hung it up. And then, and now I've started to tweak around it. So sometimes I'll just find a new piece, like, a new thing that I think is really cool. And then I'll just kind of start arranging everything else according to that cool thing that I find. Mm. So as a maximalist, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would love to hear you talk a little bit about where we are in the cycle of condo and reactions to Mm -hmm. it, because I think it always felt inherently kind of consumerist in the sense that, look, there's a ton of stuff in my home or in my closet that doesn't spark joy, but it's functional or it's occasionally functional. And therefore, if I am to get rid of it, I have to replace it with something new. Or mm. like there's, some, there's something about that pairing back that feels at least as it is enacted in America, also related to granting yourself permission to spend. Right. Maximalism is definitely on the rise again. With regards to condo and with regards to minimalism, I think that those things often play in different, ways like the reason that so many minimalist spaces look good on Instagram is because it's on Instagram and it's a small space most spaces don't look you know it's like you go to look for an Airbnb and you're like oh this place looks so minimal and cool and then you get there and you're like wow there's literally nothing in here this place sucks (laughs) this is a weird shed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're like oh this like one artwork on the wall like looked really precious in this photo and actually it's sad as hell <laughs> so you know I think there's the other thing I'll say is that you can be maximalist without being a hoarder like the two I think they often get put in the same category but you can be a condo devotee and also be a maximalist 
you know, whether it's color or pattern or texture or whatever, it doesn't mean that you have to have a lot of things. It just means that you are happy to fill your space with right colors colors and textures Mm -hmm. and patterns and fabrics there's a designer that we wrote about early in my days at curbed that kelsey keith our editor-in-chief introduced me to named max clendening and he's a british designer and made some really amazing stuff in the 70s and 80s and uh, we have a profile of him and photos of his london home and the number of objects you would call minimalist but the way that he's done his home, you would absolutely call maximalist. Like talk about hand-painted walls. And he has this giant uh, tulip sculpture that's like floor to ceiling. And in fact, I think his ceilings are like 12 feet or something. It's this massive thing. Um, so there's a lot of visual interest in right things. And you could say plants or whatever, but it's not, but they're not bad things. They're not hoarded things. They're not, you know, consumerist necessarily. I think that it's like, when you get maximalism right, it's, it is very intentional and it is refined. And most of that is just through like a constant editing, you mm-hmm. know, where do you put stuff? Our closets are small, but increasingly we, we have to live with things because our society is not really set up to share. Mm-hmm. And we feel like we all have to have our own things and then they wear out and then you just trash them and you get rid of them. You know, like I think there's, there's a real conflict with how we see ourselves and the things we keep in our homes with our actual needs and the ways that we need to connect. I mean, this time shows that like anything else, we have so many shared resources, you know, everybody is like hoarding shit. Right. Everyone is sweeping the shelves bare. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a quick break and then Mercedes and I will be back. about gender and interior spaces of the home Mm -hmm. because I think that among and you know and this is obviously sort of a generalization that doesn't encompass all races and classes but I do think that to generalize uh, I would say that women are kind of expected to be keepers of the internal spaces Mm -hmm. of a home and the people who maintain the vibe inside a home, Mm -hmm. even if they may be sharing space with a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, Yet, I think like in many areas, I think, you know, professional chefs and kitchens being one comparable, a lot of the people credited with setting Mm -hmm. the design norms and the high-minded things for inside the home just so happen to be men. Mm -hmm. And um, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about that the kind of day to day who's setting the tone and also like on the this high level way of thinking about maximalism minimalism memphis movements where women show up in that space too yeah that's a big question that i know I sorry we have to no i mean i just it's you know part of me just wants to say it's the fucking patriarchy man you know like it plays out in 
design spaces like it does in so many other in so many other places. You know, I just keep thinking about that the study that just came out about how even women are biased about women, oh, biased like, against women. You're referring to the study that says upwards of 90% of people, regardless of their gender, are biased against yes. women. Yeah. Yes. Has that affected how you feel about claiming the home space as an area of expertise? For sure. I have a lot of conflicts with claiming the home space as my expertise, in part because I feel like... <laughs> What I have is from my own experience and everything that I learned on my own, basically, you know, from reading. You're a um, self-taught home expert. I'm a self-taught home expert. I just happen to be very curious and very hardworking and a deep researcher. Mm-hmm. And so that gives me the expertise that I need. The home space doesn't feel as gross simply because hetero men are fewer and further between. Mm. They definitely do have power. But it's not a super hetero man forward space. And for that, it is a softer space than many others. The art world, for instance, the design world, you know, there are a lot of adjacent, the architecture world, my God, there are a lot of adjacent disciplines that feel way less receptive to women making bolder statements or non hetero people, whoever making statements and being tastemakers. Curbed is also about real estate. And that's a heavily male-dominated and hetero-male-dominated field. So we kind of get adjacent to all of those things. And I think there's a reason I have stayed away from all of them is like, I don't want to join in those ranks. And there does feel like, in some ways, like I'm in a safe space. And again, I think a lot of that is because I get to decide who we look at and whose voices we elevate. And like, that is a tremendous power that I do not take lightly and who we hire and how we retain people are all really important to me. And I use every ounce of power that I have to do right by people and to do right by telling the stories that need to be told. I want to ask for some advice. Sure. (laughs) Because I am picturing someone potentially listening to this and being like, yes, I love the idea of a space that is like designed to move chi around, that plays (laughs) with light, that is like full of fun color, that is like, you know, feels responsive to who I am as an individual. And Um, When I look around the room I'm currently in, I do not see that. (laughs) And the gap between the sort of desired space that many of us want to live in and the spaces that we actually do live in is quite large. I mean, and as in many things, like this is like a capitalism TM kind of thing. But I'm wondering about how you would advise someone who's feeling that gap of like, this is really, the space does not reflect me or Mm -hmm. a, a place where I feel at my best and most comfortable. Where do you advise them to start making change? So I feel like that in my house all the time. Just to be perfectly real, I agree. I think it's a capitalism TM thing. But even this morning, I was thinking, I wish my house felt more adult. You know, even as I love its rough edges, and it's something that I embrace, and I think makes people really comfortable in my home, that things aren't overly composed, or even 
regular composed, you know, they are a little bit messy, I think puts people at ease. And I really like that. And I have learned to value it, but it's taken me a long time. I think the biggest thing for me is also like so many things in life, which is to not be afraid of failure. Hmm. You just have to try something. You know, I painted my first New York apartment, my bedroom, I painted this like caramel honey brown color and I was like this could be bad I think I picked a color on the like orange yellow enough spectrum for this to be fine and it but was, also caramel honey could go diarrhea so quickly yes exactly <laughs> it's a risk but it turned out great mm-hmm. you know and I I mean I just like studied on the color for a long time and I thought about what this could be you know what what I thought about what it could be how it could fail you know and you can always like there's a reason they give you those tiny tubs <laughs> of tester things for like $3. Yeah, you just have to try stuff. And as with everything in life, know that it is not permanent. Everything must change. Everything will change. And that is the beauty of like playing in your home. You know, it's like, like I said, I'll buy something that I think is really cool. And then, you know, I'll want to bring it out like a, a new picture for a dinner party. And then I'm like, okay. Now, what do I have that I want to pull together? And then as I have to pull it together, you know, when you have to show up, when you have to do a thing and you have to compose a space or compose a, you know, yeah, a table setting, then that's the moment like when you go to write something, you go to make a piece of art, you whatever, it's still part of the creative process where, okay, now I have my elements and I have to put them together. And you just develop a sophistication and you understand the tools that you have. And then when you're out in a state sale or whatever, doing your low risk shopping, then you understand more and more and more of what you want. I think it's worth trying. It's worth making like low lift investments. Even just hanging like the other day, I hung two pieces of art. They look kind of janky, but it changed the space. And it helped me see the space in a new way and be like, oh, okay. So even right, you just like move a lamp or move a table or like, I'll tack something up like without a nail, you know, and like put it in the wall and be like, oh, how does this look next to this? And then I'll move it. You know, you just kind of have to be like, okay, with going and trying things again and doing things again and figuring it out, just like any creative practice that you have. Mm. It's just going forward, getting new tools, understanding what else you need. You know, do I need a new brush or a new paint? Do I need a new set of napkins? You know, whatever the hell it is. The home is creative practice. Yes, the home is creative practice. Mm. I think with any art that you share with people, it's such a joy to share it. I love having people come into my house and feel comfortable. I love them looking around and being like, oh, that's cool. Or, oh, look at these bookshelves or whatever. Like, If they're inspired to have their own space or think about their space in a new way, I love that. It truly gives me joy for people to enjoy being in a space that I have put together, right? Whether that's like at my dining room table or in my living room or, you know, then even me enjoying my bedroom space, for instance. It is something that feels life-giving and I want people to enjoy in the same way that, you know, I enjoy somebody's painting or I enjoy somebody's song or something else. And it's weird. I feel like I've never talked about the home in this way. I always say, and you know that I say this, I always feel like I don't have a creative practice. Sorry, but I know, but I feel, you know, for so long, I felt like it's supposed to look a certain way. Like practice looks like, 
you know, a daily drawing habit or a weekly writing ritual or something like that. I scrambled to put away my easel before you came. (laughs) (laughs) It's like me with a beret and an easel. Like that's my practice. No, LOL. It sucks that I'm, I still am like held to that, even as I know that that's ridiculous. But it's strange to me to hear me describe what it feels like for me, because I think I know that I have an intuition about what it feels like to walk into a space and be like, okay, well, this needs to change or that or whatever. And and yeah, I would say that intuition that you feel, that's the kind of like chi thing, right? Where you're like, hmm, something is a little bit weird in here, but I can't say what. And maybe it's somebody else's vibe, you know, who knows? But there is something about honing the intuition and honing your ability to like make small changes and adjust the feeling of the space. And then, right, you have things like, you know, interior design magazines or feng shui books or curbed how-to articles. You know, I got to give a shout out. Do it. Um, to help you, like, give you real tools for how you might do that. You know, so for me from feng shui, it's like, okay, yeah, hang a mirror here. I'm like, well, I have this little shiny thing. I could put it there. And it makes a big difference. Yeah, just develop your curiosity. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I feel like I can name, I mean, this is because I shop with you as well, but I can (laughs) name the things that you are interested in for your own space right now. It's almost harder for me to do that for my own space. Mm. Like, you know, like I kind of know what I'm attracted to when I'm shopping for things or whatever because of their functionality or their aesthetic or whatever. It's almost easier for me to walk into a friend's house and be like, oh, this is what they're all about Mm -hmm. right now. I'm wondering if you can almost like lightning around style. Be like, here's what I'm into right now. Mm. Well, first I want to say something about what you just said, which is the gift of being able to see someone from the outside Mm. is a very special one. And so when you go into someone's home, right, it is part of their creative practice. When you look at their art, when you read their stories, when you whatever, so many people, so many of us are working through these different forms of creativity to try to fully understand who we are and what we think about the world and our freaking mission for the world. So to be able to dialogue with your friend about what you see and the things that they have made is hugely important. And I learned this from my friend Carrie, who's a painter, Mm. who, you know, I've known her for two decades nearly. And when I go into her studio and I talk about the things that I see, you know, I can pull up like a really long history And I didn't understand how important that was until she told me, hey, you making all of these connections really helps me start to put this together. Well, you get all my references even when I don't get my references. Exactly. Exactly. And so seeing all of that is is hugely powerful and having conversations about what other people see. And I think that's something that I have the luck of having Ryan to see stuff. And I love talking about it. And so, right, writing about it for the newsletter, talking to you about it, whoever I'm shopping with, whatever. I can kind of start to get some of those things out. But, you know, you both have to work, let's say, in the medium. Mm -hmm. So rearranging your house and messing with it. And then also talking to people and being like, yeah, I would really like to find X. And then they'll be like, oh, I see X in this way. You've really Mm -hmm. done it really well there. You know, and then you can kind of start to see things in a new way and develop it. So Mm -hmm. anyway, lightning round. What am I really into right now? I'm relentlessly into textiles. I love to find something that surprises me. I feel like I have a really good grip on um, Mexican textiles and I'm trying to like figure out what I am looking at there. I spent a short time in India about a decade ago and picked up some stuff there and I learned about like 
Turkish weaving and Kashmiri weaving and a bunch of different things from all over the place. So I have some of that and I would like to, I'm ready to be surprised by a new form of textile and like how people communicate through textile. You're ready for a new love. (laughs) I'm ready for a new love. And like, I may not find it for a while and I'm, it may be a while before I go out looking for it, but I'm kind of like that thing that I found at the Pasadena city college flea. Like that really surprised me. I have never seen anything like that before. And so I haggled a little bit for it, but I snagged it. I bought it and I love it. And I am trying to, kind of dive into new things and that one wasn't any clear form of like you know folk tradition or anything like that I just was really astounded by it um in fact I am a little bit trying not (laughs) to get more things I have a very full glassware cabinet right now queen of colored glass oh years of collecting Mm -hmm. um so I right now I'm actually trying to be very contented with the things that I have Right, like, are you using and enjoying them? Yes, exactly. You know, again, with glassware, like, I find some of the greatest joys when I have dinner parties. So I had a great, like, New Year's Eve dinner party, and I got to pull out layers upon layers of glassware, and that was fantastic. And I probably will not have a dinner party for a little while, and that is fine. And so I just try to use my stuff in the meantime. Like, right now at our table, I have some of my special placemats set out and our little juice glasses set out. With some nice uh, block shop textile <laughs> napkins that I got at the sample sale, right? sample sale a couple months ago. So you're gesturing toward me because we attended together. <laughs> yes, and so or rather not together, but I'm on gest- the same day. <laughs> yes, I'm gesturing toward you because I bought you the table runner there that I bought myself mere buy- <laughs> hours later. <laughs> And it was a true moment of kismet. I really felt so seen. Like, what is what is more beautiful than your friend buying you a gift that you have just bought for yourself an hour prior? Like, that is truly being seen. Out of all of the beautiful textiles in that room, we picked the same one for me. I'm feeling emotional about it, just thinking about it. <laughs> it's funny because I, I'm always looking for some, like, retro future Star Wars kind of a situation. I'm talking acrylic. I'm talking... Yeah, any kind of other colored plastics from like the 70s and 80s. A chrome accent? Potentially a chrome <laughs> accent. I get a little bit afraid of chrome, TBH. I know, but I feel like you can't invoke Star Wars without like, I know. something kind of chrome well, in, the, in the like mix. Well, it's more like Darth Vader's helmet, mm. you know? Like that you want a black shape. lacquer moment. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially, yes. I think you have seen my the fixture over my dining room table. It's actually black and chrome. I was looking for a red one, but alas, Um, there's a bunch of really cool stuff on Etsy, but it's like a thousand dollars for like, and and it's like red glass or like red orange glass. So I'll search for things like atomic. Uh, Some of that stuff can be a little too Sputnik for me, but I'll kind of like go into, you know, sixties and seventies retro and I'll kind of just like rabbit hole, whether it's on Pinterest or Etsy or cherish or whatever i'll just kind of go and just like burrow deep into the various like referrals of things and then find a new term to zero in on and then search to the bottom of that and you know recently i got some cartel style tables cartel is a um, furniture manufacturer and they did a bunch of stuff in like 70s and 80s i went into a deep hole to figure out 
out of this like genre, what was accessible, what was affordable, what was I looking for? And I came out with these like two plastic yellow side tables um, that in another situation might look like children's tables, but I love that they look like children's tables and I'm trying to figure out how to make them look alive and mm-hmm. cool. Anyway, that was a rabbit trail. Um, I mean, I asked what you're into lately. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The weird thing I'll say too about friends and seeing friends in their spaces I find it very easy to shop for myself. I actually have a very hard time shopping for my friends because I have this weird fear of giving people stuff that they don't want or that they don't like, Mm. even though I am happy when people give me stuff, even if I like, I'm like, well, this isn't exactly my thing, but like, this is so sweet and I love it. And it's weird that I can't get past that. I have this like strange imposter syndrome like for Amina, actually, there are times when like I actually have bought her a couple of small things and not given them to her because I'm like, I know she is like trying to be minimal. She's like got this grown up vibe in this new apartment and whatever. And like, and I don't want to just like send her stuff. But I also feel that that's a fear of it, it kind of comes from that same place of perfection being the enemy of the good, right? Like right. I see that as like a if I don't nail this, like if I don't get you the perfect thing, then it wasn't worth it at all. Even though that's not your experience as a recipient. Right. When I can talk with someone like aforementioned Carrie, she was looking for some textiles and I was like, great. I'm constantly on the hunt. So I will look at the next estate sale I go to. And I got her like, you know, one misc textile that could be used for anything. And like two tablecloths that were like cool and had some embroidery on them and whatever. Mm -hmm. And she seemed really stoked about all of them. And so I was like, yeah, this feels good. I'd love to be able to give her this stuff, you know, that I can like use my eye and find. Yeah, I mean, maybe I should just be asking people more of what they're looking for so that I don't get so bottled up and afraid when I'm estate sale shopping. Or for me, part of it is when I give a gift like that, I will often give it with an explanation. This is me. Like, this is totally me. Of like, this is why I thought of you for this thing. Right. This is a thing I noticed when I was in your home. And this is why I gave this to you. So even though it's, it's so weird, it's like, it's my own way of like vocalizing the insecurity about the gift. But it's weird because you've done that for me before. And I feel like, I'm like, oh, I feel seen because you Mm. have been like, I see this thing in my house. I whatever, whatever, you know? Yeah. And it actually does help make a nice, bridge to the thing where you you might have otherwise been like "Eh." (laughs) right (laughs) maybe not uh, but just like you know it makes a fertile ground for the person to receive i think okay and on this fertile ground (laughs) (laughs) i have to say thank you for being on the podcast yeah absolutely mercedes i love this we are cooped inside but um we can make inside a little cozier I love it. And um, we will link in the show notes to Mercedes' work at Curbed and her social handles. And yeah, I really recommend um, she's been writing the Curbed Editor-in-Chief newsletter, which I think I referenced in our conversation. And she's been doing a really incredible job of thinking through some really great ways to make a home feel like yours. So She's been doing an incredible job. The Mercedes Krause story. Love to hear uh, it. Isn't isn't she? Isn't she always? Um, I will see you on FaceTime in your house. <laughs> I am going to see you on FaceTime, my love. And, you know, to anyone who's listening to this, if you are feeling a little stir crazy or you are, you know, like just feeling anxious of Volney, it's totally fine. Pick up the phone and call someone. I bet you the person on the other end of the line would love to hear from you. 
Absolutely. I've also been sending my friends little videos like that's just like, hello, it's a human face, like not a text message. I um, have not gotten a video from you as your friend. Well, excuse me. Hello. I'm learning about this on the air. Let me just say I do video chat with you every day. <laughs> so that is one reason why you have not received one. Wow. Is this relationship going to survive coronavirus? Tune in next week. <laughs> I like the idea that you're not receiving my sporadic communication because we are, in fact, in constant communication. I want all of your sporadic communication. The idea that someone is receiving a cute video from you and I am not on that list. I'm sorry. When I have video time with my therapist later today, we will be discussing this. Wow. Okay. Um, Well, okay. Well, listen, I will see you on the internet in a disjointed message format. Okay. (laughs) Not just in a FaceTime. I'm pledging to you right now with all these listeners as my witness. You can find us many places on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all your favorite platforms. Subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. You can call us back. You can leave a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. Our theme song is by Robin. Original music composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. We're on Instagram and Twitter at callyrgf. Our associate producer is Jordan Bailey, and this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. 